Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. Corner coming at you on this Tuesday morning. Whenever you are listening, Joey Molinaro and I appreciate it a lot. We know it's the off season and the month of January. Shit, it might be the longest month of the year. I can't believe it's only January 21st. Um, somehow it is. But uh, yeah, on this edition of the podcast, we're going to talk. Um, hit a lot on just kind of what needs to change for the Colts to get back in the postseason this year. Um, touch a little bit on the Senior Bowl. That is this week. That is a huge week in the scouting world, and it might be Chris Ballard's favorite week of the year, uh, considering what the Colts have done in years past. So we'll kind of break down just maybe specific character traits, physical traits to uh, keep an eye on uh, for those of you following along from Mobile this week. Uh, and then, per usual, Twitter questions. Just uh, sifted through a few of them early on, and we got some great ones that uh, – be fun to debate here in a bit but joey we got niners we got chiefs in the super bowl your thoughts on what we saw sunday unfortunately two pretty anticlimactic fourth quarters yeah it, it kind of felt like we were leading up to that with the postseason that we've had so far both in wild card round and divisional round you know it we, felt like we kind of deserved a dud yeah we're gonna get a dud we're gonna get chalk but uh, i think that dud is gonna lead to what should be a, a really exciting and, and high scoring and fun super bowl uh, a couple weeks for sure now. i hope you know me man i just want entertainment i really don't have a lot of rooting interest outside of about notre dame in terms of my teams mm-hmm. uh across really any professional sport i guess i'm a bit of a cincinnati reds fan as well uh but just give me entertainment give me good drama that's all i asked for and I, I think the super bowl has given us that i mean really i can't remember was seattle denver the last big blowout yeah, I, I mean, last year wasn't like, you know, fireworks, but it was a one possession game for right. I'd say last year and then the Panthers Broncos were both like Panthers Broncos, boring, yeah, close games that. that, you know, the score was close. It kind of was dramatic, but it didn't have that holy yeah. blank, you know, Falcons, pa- Patriots. Falcons, Patriots yeah, 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 yeah. or Patriots, Seahawks from a right. few years back right. or. Trying to think of the other two that have happened to. I mean, uh, even Eagles, yeah, Eagles, e- Patriots. Eagles Patriots was was a lot of fun too. For so. sure, yeah. So the Super Bowl has lived up to it. Hopefully, it will. Um, as we start this podcast, so l- let's do kind of look at the Chiefs and 49ers, and and I feel like we do it every year in the playoffs. How do these teams compare to the Colts, and how far off are are the Colts? And you try to find kind of common threads or areas where the Colts can improve. And obviously, when you look at these two teams, both of them are built in. Some similar ways, but then two vastly different ways, and that comes from specifically with the Chiefs. They have a generational talent at quarterback that simply can do things you can't teach. And we saw in the first half, late in the first half on Sunday of that game, Patrick Mahomes makes a play that Andy Reid doesn't script up, Eric Bieniemy doesn't draw on a whiteboard. That is just Patrick Mahomes being Patrick Mahomes and why he was the MVP of the league last year and that goes to the point that we keep on coming back to so often Joey of why Kansas City traded up why I am a fan of the Colts exhausting every resource to try and find some quarterback that can do things off script to that degree in those settings 
Um, I think it's such a rare attribute, and I think it's impossible to obviously draw that stuff up. But there are guys that have those talents, and, and, and Mahomes certainly has that. And then you look at San Francisco, and the approach there was obviously they traded you know some significant resources for Jimmy G, but the investment of four top ten picks in that front seven of their defense has paid off. And, you know, I know everyone's like, well, look, they, they had four wins last year, and now they have whatever they won, 12 or 13. Well, they also had the number one overall pick. And Nick Bosa walked in here and was one of the best defensive players in the NFL yep. from day one. And Jimmy Garoppolo played three games last year. So I, I think all of those are specific reasons on why, why they made such a quantum leap this year. Um, you know, I, I feel like when you look at both of these teams, they are not – afraid to put in serious resources into free agency and trades. Trades maybe more so than most teams. You think about, obviously, Jimmy G, but then the D4 trade, um, which ironically goes from one team to the other. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders trade during the season. I mean, that is a huge, huge element as well. And then you talk about, I guess Frank Clark was a trade now that I think about it. Seattle to Kansas City as well. Mm -hmm. And you get into free agency and whether it's you know, Sammy Watkins or Richard Sherman or Tevin Coleman or, you know, the Honey Badger. I mean, those are some big, big pieces to both of those teams' puzzles. And I just think it's another reminder of I get Chris Ballard's core philosophy, and I respect it. But to me, it's almost similar to how I view Matt Eberflus in the defense. I understand you have these core beliefs, but let's be open-minded Let's be willing to be diverse, uh, willing to maybe do some things that are kind of out of your comfort zone because good things can happen. And when you have the amount of resources that the Colts have with this draft and this offseason via cap space and, of course, those picks, there's an opportunity to, I think, cross a lot of things off the list. And I think that is what San Francisco and Kansas City both have done. Like, if you're going to make a pie chart, Joey, per se, of like, okay, what is this roster built via the draft, free agency, trade? Yes, there is a large, large chunk of both of those teams that come from the draft. But there's also a good piece of the uh, of that pie that comes from free agency and trades, more so than I think the Colts currently have in their 53-man roster makeup, and especially at their impactful position makeup. Um, and and I, I think that's something that, for the Colts to get there, I think they're going to have to become more open-minded, more willing to do those things. Yeah, and I think it just keeps coming back to when you have Alex Smith and you've been in the postseason and you're sitting fine where you are and Andy Reid and company still make the decision to move pretty far up oh, to yeah. number 10. Yeah, 27 to, get, to 10, I think it was. Yeah, 29 to 10, something crazy. To get Patrick Mahomes, you know, I think both you and I would look at that right now and we don't know if Chris Ballard would pull the trigger on something like that. And it goes back to something I talked about a couple podcasts ago of these AFC playoff teams, Joey. You had Buffalo, you had Baltimore, you had Kansas City, and you had Houston. All of them drafted quarterbacks in the first round over the last three years. In the immediate year prior to drafting those quarterbacks, they finished above 500. And I know that I'm repeating myself when I say that. But I just, I'm just i trying to drive home a point of how important I think it is when you have the opportunity where you don't have to trade up from 27 or 29. Like, even if the Colts trade up to five, would that be a hit to their draft capital? Yes. Would it totally mortgage their entire offseason? No. 
it would not. Um, so I think that's what we have to keep on coming back to. And I know San Francisco, when you look at what they've done, especially in the playoffs, it's it's remarkable, these two games, what they've been able to do running the football. Let's not act like this has been them all season long. Yeah. Yes, they've run it a lot, but they've not had, you know, historic top two, three league yard per carry success this season. Jimmy Garoppolo has thrown the football very effectively. If you look at his numbers, I think he's nearly, I want to say nearly 70%. Completion percentage and his yards per attempt is over eight, which is numbers that you would dream of, dream of from your quarterback. So just because he's barely throwing the ball here in the playoffs, uh, there's a reason they were the number one overall seed. And Jimmy G played a big, big role in that. And they were able to benefit from, yes, more of a run focus and Kyle Shanahan doing so many different things with that rushing attack. They were able to take advantage of that via the high completion percentage and the yards per attempt. And that's obviously what the Colts were not able to do. All right, man. Let's talk about uh, if you're ready to move on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's talk about what has to change for the Colts to make the playoffs moving forward into 2020, 2021. You get back into what we're used to from the Colts, and that's annual trips to the postseason for January football. And let's start with better play from your really key positions on the field. Yeah, and before I, I dive fully into that, Joey, let's just. Let's remind everyone that obviously the AFC South is no longer your older brother's AFC South. This is a legit division. There is parity in this division. Um, There are teams one through four that are no pushover. Uh, What, the Colts made the playoffs? Hell, what was it? Every year for the first? Seemed like our entire life. Yeah, I mean, until 2011, I think they made it every year. From 2003 to 2011, mm-hmm. of the inception of the AFC South, um, and just literally just bullied, just stepped on the throats of Houston, Tennessee, and and Jacksonville. But now you look at it, and Houston's won the division four out of five years, and Tennessee's had four straight, you know, nine win seasons, and have made the playoffs a few times, winning road playoff games, and and uh, you know Jacksonville's had your number. You haven't been able to win in Jacksonville in five seasons. It's no longer this pushover. And I think Chris Ballard, what, what I did appreciate from, from, from Chris, among you know many things he said in that season-ending press conference, I liked how he acknowledged the point differential stat in regards to where his team was at in 2019. Whereas when the Colts were 5-2, and two, and it was like, oh, number two seed, chance to get a bye, like all these things, Ballard sat there and thought to himself, man, that point differential... Boy, that's plus seven. That is playing with frickin' fire. Yeah. You know, that is that is pyro-type stuff that you don't want to get your hands into. Mm-hmm. And now somebody could look at it and be like, well, why didn't he make a move with the trade deadline? And that's a, that's a fair question. Um, but I think now when you look back on it, the acknowledgement of just the Colts end of the year minus, I think it was 12 in point differential, the average AFC playoff team, was like plus 112. So you're talking about, you know, over a 100-point differential in where you were compared to the AFC playoff teams. And that's with the easiest schedule in the AFC South. That's with one of the easier schedules in the AFC. So I think when you factor that in, you say two games, you know, you're, you're, you're two games outside of the playoffs, Tennessee being the sixth seed, which doesn't seem like a lot. But then you factor in point differential – and you know full well that, like, man, even with that easy schedule, getting some breaks with those quarterbacks, 
you were, a, again, a much, much different football team than you were last year, point differential. So we talk about making the playoffs in 2020. You just mentioned it. Better play from the key positions. Um, quarterback, wide out, pass rusher. Maybe even corner. I think corner has kind of grown into that in today's NFL as well. As another position, I, I thought the Colts were below playoff level at all of those spots mm-hmm. this season. Pass rusher maybe a little bit higher, but still, um, I thought the interior rush certainly was not up to that. And, and I just think this league right now is too dependent, Joey, on throwing it and defending the pass uh, for a team to make the playoffs without those above, above average play at those key spots. Another one is that uh, kind of playing off of that, KB, is just the passing game's got to improve. Well, whoever the quarterback is, it has to. Yeah, and again, this this, this factors into, like you said, a lot more than just the quarterback. Um, the play at the receiver position, the play at the tight end position. You need more explosive playmaking at tight end. And, you know, the Eric Ebron injury played into that, but Mo Cox didn't give you much, you know, late in the year. I know he battled some injuries, and um, kudos to Jack Doyle for making another Pro Bowl via the alternate spot, but... You just need more explosiveness to complement what Doyle gives you, which is so reliable and so consistent, whether you're running it or throwing it. So, you know, I I keep on going back to you were able to run it effectively, which should open up even more in the passing game, whether that is just higher completion percentage or the occasional chunk plays, whatever you can tap into. It should have allowed for more in the passing game, and you didn't get that at all. And that's why I go back to Garoppolo's stats from this regular season. The 70% passing and the over 8 yards per yards per attempt, those are numbers literally Frank Reich would... I I don't think Frank Reich would do this, but I think Frank Reich would run naked around Monument Circle to have those numbers. Love to broadcast that. Maybe you could do a little play-by-play. We could. Slide in there. Um... Can't see Frank Reich doing that. Maybe Travis Kelsey doing it after they went to the AFC title game. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think that when you talk about this league, it comes down to scoring points. And Tennessee just ran out of gas. And when they sputtered in the red zone a couple of times in that game as well, like, you aren't going to get enough chances. And Kansas City's potent ability, what they're able to do from a passing game standpoint – that's a huge, huge element. And I just think it's harder to sustain consistent rushing success. And why San Francisco is able to do it, well, they have a top, they have one of the best defensive lines maybe the game has ever seen, to be honest with you. Colts don't have that. And they aren't getting that very soon. Like, that's multiple, multiple years of building that. So, um, you know, I'm not looking for. Uh, Homeboy Peter King saying Jacoby Brissett's going to be a top three MVP candidate. I'm not looking for MVP type numbers, but just a little bit more out of the passing game than what you got. One thing we talked about uh, through this playoff run uh, is that you see teams like Tennessee, you see teams like San Francisco. That's an elite running game. The Colts have a good running game. That's an elite running game that you have to get to. Yeah, and I was shocked to see how San Francisco just absolutely <laughs> bullied, bullied. Um, Green Bay, and I guess bully might not be the right term. It was more of a... Um, they just outran him. I mean, yeah. Moser just ran right past him. Yeah, I mean, we're talking a Purdue track star that, I mean, I feel like I have a decent grasp on Purdue football being in the state. You barely remember Raheem Moser. It was always kind of like, oh, yeah, there's that guy they always say is like all Big Ten and track. 
Yeah. And that's, and that's like the one line that every announcer says about him mm-hmm. each game. But, he, I mean, he doesn't touch the ball offensively more than like five times. Well, Jeremy Fowler had a really good note. He tweeted out during the game, Raheem Mostert only had 769 career rushing yards at Purdue. Mm. He had like First a, career. He had like a third of that in the game on yeah. Sunday. Yeah. Crazy. Boy, that's why Daryl Hazel is uh, no longer the head football coach at Purdue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> One of the many reasons. Yeah. But again, I feel like with San Francisco, Joey, it is more of like misdirection, pre-snap, in motion stuff. Like it is, and then of course he uses a fullback as well. Um, but it goes back to what we talked about before. The Colts have a strong run game, a good run game, but it's not elite. And to make runs in the playoffs, to make the playoffs, you need elite run game when you aren't getting what you got from your passing offense and you aren't getting uh, above average play defensively and we don't need to get into the kicking game uh, although we will probably touch on that here in a couple but um, yeah this this rushing attack if you're going to rely on it as much as Frank Reich wants to rely on it and had to rely on it this year with the passing offense you can't have the duds against the top 10 rushing attacks it goes back to uh, go back to what I always say about I feel like I said this on last week's podcast about Miles Turner playing elite centers. Like, I'm not expecting him to hold, you know, Rudy Gobert to whatever, 10 points and six rebounds, but you aren't expecting it to be 22 and 10. Like, find the happy medium mm-hmm. of, okay, it's 16 and 8, and they had to work for it. With the Colts rushing attack, I'm not expecting what San Francisco did on Sunday, but when you're playing top 10 run defenses, go get you 110. Whatever, 90. Right. And then a byproduct of that is you're able to get a little bit more out of the passing. Sure. One thing, a couple more here. One thing that has to change is a more disruptive defense, whether it be pass rush or in the secondary, like you mentioned, better corner play. Got to make more things happen than just kind of be a bend, don't break. Yeah, I want to see more disruption. You know, Chris Ballard mentioned after the season, more takeaways, which the Colts actually finished last year 10th in takeaways. So it was not like an awful season by any means. Um, but I did feel like, I don't know, just with those takeaways at times, it's like, oh, Leonard or bust, you know, it's like, if he's not doing it, then who else, you know, then you're just praying for a holding penalty. Um, so that's what Ballard wanted. Then he also doesn't want as many big plays as they saw, especially late, late in the season. But, you know, I go back to what I talked about earlier of Matt Eberflus tweaking things, being more open to doing things differently week in and week out. Um, this scheme is not changing. Chris, I mean, Chris Bowd has made that very clear. The the Tampa 2 and all, which is fine. Like, you've drafted personnel. I'm not sitting there being like, you need an overhaul. But if you're going to play the scheme, be a little bit more open-minded to doing things differently. I think you saw Kansas City change up a lot of things from their defensive mindset. Um, throughout the season, and they have a first-year defensive coordinator, but they've played really good defense here to close out the season, and that's been a big element why. Um, So I think that's where I look at things from a can you mix up, disguise things pre-snap, you know, mixing up coverages, uh, that is what I like to see change on the defensive side of the ball. I feel like people have been waiting for this one. They knew it was coming, but uh, the kicking game has to change in 2020. (laughs) It's the no-brainer, man. Um, We can probably move on. You know, extra points, field goals speak for itself. I would say the thing that really, really irks 
fans and you almost forget about it, the amount of block kicks. We have four? Four block kicks or punts? It's the NF freaking out. Like, are you kidding me? Like, th- this is yeah, not. Can't happen. Yeah, this Just is can't not happen. Friday Night Lights. You know, this is. Uh, you can't be having block kicks in the NFL. We all know the stats. You know, you block a kick against a team, you got a 95% chance to win. I'm sure it's stead and every special teams meeting in the first day of training camp. But it's true. And that's inexcusable in a 16-game season. And you do that, you're going to miss the playoffs, and the Colts did. So, yeah, those are some of the things that got to change for the Colts to get back into the playoffs against a you know, pretty tough schedule looking like on paper, especially at home here in 2020. You mentioned off the top. Senior Bowl week, everybody's down there in Mobile. It's Mobile, right? Mobile, yes. Mobile, Alabama. Chris Ballard's favorite week of the year. Um, he hasn't been too busy, you know, the last really since he's taken over this this time of year. So, what else does he have to do besides be down there in Mobile and scout some players? Full attention, yeah, kind of crazy. San Francisco, uh, they coached in the game last year. Yep, they were one of the there staffs, and now they are. Uh, Obviously playing next week. It's Lions and Bengals. Uh, Bengals seems like an easy out. I know it's Lions. Uh, Maybe it is Bengals. Those are the two coaching staffs this week. Uh, But, you know, why does the Senior Bowl matter, first off? It's not, you know, you always hear the term underwear Olympics at the Combine. Like, this is legit football. NFL systems. I think that might be the most important aspect of it. NFL coaching staffs. Coaching college players. Mm-hmm. You learn a lot about the quarterbacks, and I mean, look at the quarterbacks. You're talking Hurts. You're talking Herbert. You're talking Jordan Love. Um, Anthony Gordon from Washington State who took over for Gardner Minshew. I didn't realize that Shea Patterson has played for um, four different coordinators in his four years of college. Wow. <laughs> That's not ideal growth. No. Uh, he'll be in the game as well. And we know Ballard's history with the game. You know, I, I tweeted out a list yesterday. The last two years, Joey, nine, nine draft picks for the Colts come from the Senior Bowl. Nine of 21. And that's nearly 50% of your picks come from this All-Star game. Last year, it was Banigou, Willis, Okariki, Yassin, uh, Gary Green, Javon Patterson. The year before, Kamoko Turi, Taekwon Lewis, Darius Leonard. That's three second-round picks. Yep. And then the year before that, uh, your guy Zach Banner and Terrell Basham as well. So, uh, again, I think it comes back to Ballard just loves the fact that you can evaluate guys on a very even playing field. Um, You get them in NFL systems. You get the measurable aspect. You get to have great one-on-one time with a lot of these guys. Um, So I think all of that is really, really beneficial to – Chris Bauer and his scouting department. And it's the first time your coaches really get to see these guys in any sort of one-on-one setting. You know, your coaching staff is a huge part of your scouting process. Mm -hmm. They aren't on the road during the fall, obviously. They've got far more important things to worry about and trying to win football games every Sunday. But now it's, okay, Frank Reich and all of his assistants. You sit up in the stands in Mobile and you start getting your eyes on these guys. And, I mean, Ballard Ballard has shown us the Senior Bowl film after every single draft. It's what made a difference on Rocky scene being worthy of 34. It was seeing Darius Leonard against this competition and being like, all right, this guy can hold his own a little bit. It was seeing Kamoko Turi rush a little bit more and being like, all right, just because the pass production, pass rush 
production of Ture at in the Big Ten wasn't at you know uh, a, an eight or ten sack level year in and year out. He still has attributes that make us think he can be a second round pick. Um, so I think if we're trying to formulate what a Colt drafted player looks like, you certainly look at the Senior Bowl and then specific traits, high character, and I know I'm sounding like a broken record. And then it is those kind of elite measurables. And when you talk defense, it's speed, a lot of speed, um, and length. Yes, length is a great, great trait um, to mention as well. So I think that we're now in year year three drafting to these systems, year four overall of Chris Ballard. And next podcast, I want to get into a little bit more of evaluating Chris Ballard and Frank Reich individually. after their respective 10 years so far, Ballard three years, right? Two years. Because I feel like, Joey, there's this weird sort of um, sense of, and, and it's a small section of the fan base, but sometimes they can be the vocal minority. They want to see the seat a little bit warmer for these Colts decision makers. And the debate that I have internally is how much did the Andrew Luck retirement lengthen the leash? For those guys. Should it lengthen the leash? And then did it lengthen the leash in the eyes of Jim Jim Mercy? So that stuff we'll get into a little bit more next week. But again, with the, with the Senior Bowl, um, I think now we have kind of a general makeup of what a Chris Ballard draft pick looks like. Uh, looks like. So we'll, uh, we'll try to pair some of those guys here in the coming weeks and months. Want to do some Twitter questions? Yes. All right, let's start with John Doe. He says, big, big fan of Kinlaw and Jefferson, but you are then co-signing yourself to putting off QB until 2021, at which point several more teams could be diving into that QB pool. Brady's team, Pitt, Chicago, Jacksonville, New Orleans, Vegas. Um, Vegas. Yes, yeah, so I guess the question is, what would you do in that situation? Sounds so weird to hear Vegas. Yeah, it's happening. You know? Man. So they're gonna have the black hole still there. You so. see that? Colts are. Um, they're in Vegas next year. Right, right, right. First off, thank you to everyone that sends in Twitter questions. I I know we say it every week, but yeah, um, yeah. I, we we cannot thank you enough. It's probably our favorite part of the podcast, and, and yeah, I'm sure cool. it is for a lot of listeners as well. Um, okay, so tr- taking a D defensive lineman at thirteen would push quarterback to twenty twenty one. Boy, you know, and, and that's probably the hardest debate. In all of this, and as we record this on Tuesday morning, no no news on Anthony Costanzo on that front, Joey. But you know, there's so many dominoes to where you might make the argument that at quarterback, receiver, maybe not wideout, but quarterback, left tackle, and pass rusher. Yep. You want to find those in today's NFL. You have to find them in the draft, more or less. There are very rare instances where you can find it elsewhere. So. It's just like when you cross off one of those, then you're sitting there being like, how the hell are you going to fill the other two? True. And do you have to push one of those to 2021? To me, quarterback's too important to push to 2021. Um, because like you know, like the question says, there are other teams that are going to have quarterback needy spots next year and, and all of that stuff. And who knows? What if the Colts win two more games this year and you're drafting eight spots lower? Now all of a sudden you don't have the 13th overall pick to where it's easier to move up. So... I'm not. I'm not pushing quarterback off another year. John wants to know what was the average defensive numbers during Andrew Luck's time. Best, worst, were they rated any higher than fifteenth? 
They were. I remember they were, I want to say they were 11th a couple of seasons. And that would have been, um, I honestly think both, well, the AFC 2013, title. 2014? I, I think actually um, 2018 as uh, well. I yeah. think they, uh, you know, when they beat Houston in the playoffs and then obviously the AFC title year in 2014. But I would say the average was like mid-20s. I mean, there were some 30 years. I mean, for the most part, it was a... Um, yeah, it, it was a it was a twenty or worse defense year in year out of the seven seasons Andrew Luck played. Paul asks, can Jack Coughlin play left tackle if Anthony Costanza retires, and would Ballard pay him? That's a good question. You know, I, I think what you're gonna have to do if Costanza does hang it up, you're gonna have to look at some of these free agent tackles, Joey, and really do your homework and think to yourself, okay, can this guy move over, or or you know, is DJ Humphreys uh, a guy that you know can play left tackle? Do you? I mean. Do you sign, like, Jason Peters? I can't believe he's still playing football. I think he's a free agent. I mean, do you say, okay, one-year stopgap, draft a tackle in the third round, and you have your own little kind of grooming session? And this goes back to why I was such a big advocate of taking a tackle early last year of, like, I necessarily didn't think of the Costanzo retirement, but just what about an injury? A significant injury on your offensive line, and you're shit out of luck. So, uh, Conklin... I don't believe he played left tackle at Michigan State. I'm trying to think back to those days, but you got to evaluate all his left tackles, and that pro scouting department is going to be very, very responsible for that. I like this one from Michael. It says, going into this season, did you think Brissett was a better quarterback than Ryan Tannehill? Has your opinion changed? Ooh. Well, I probably thought Brissett had a um, – I probably thought Tannehill's ceiling had been reached. And obviously I was wrong um, on that. I would have rather have bet on Brissett than Tannehill. I mean, Tannehill started for what? How many years in Miami? I mean, five at least. Right? I mean, he, same class as Luck. And then did he play out the. I think he played out the the full rookie contract. Yeah. So, um. So yeah, I I would have. I don't think I would have been like one is vastly better than the other, but I'm like, okay, I've only seen Brissett start for one year. Let's at least see him. Whereas I've seen Tannehill start for five years. But I don't think I would have said either is a better than a. Uh, you know, top 20 quarterback. And, and now that's what Tennessee's got to gotta decide. I assume they're going to give Tannehill some sort of contract in a yeah. multi-year sense. Like, I feel like that's kind of how, how you have to operate. From Hillary, if Vinny decides to retire, when do you think that announcement comes? Well, that's a good question, Hillary. I haven't even thought – I haven't really thought about that. Um, didn't he make it seem like he was going to have surgery and then kind of like it was a – the rehab that was going to reach several months into 2020 and then was yeah. going to see if he was healthy enough to kick. So I don't think it's like a Luke Keekley type of retirement, like to expect it tomorrow. But I don't know. Maybe he has surgery and he gets a month into it and he's like, this is stupid. Let's go hunt. But, you know, maybe he legitimately wants to get through the rehab process, see if he can come back stronger and try and kick again, which that would mean, you know, you get far into 2020 with that or further into 2020. From Nelliano, realistically, what's the highest you think Chris Ballard can trade up in the draft? I think eighth is the highest he can go, but at this point, is it worth losing draft picks? Eighth is the highest he can go. Um, well, I mean, he can go probably as high as, like, three. Now, how high is he willing to go is probably the other question of it. I mean, if you go to eight, the only quarterback teams you're jumping are potentially Oakland. And potentially, which I don't think Jacksonville's drafting a quarterback at nine. 
Um, I think those are the only quarterback teams between eight and twelve, Joey. Now, you got five, six, seven right there. Chargers, Panthers, Dolphins, or whatever order they're in. You you got to go up to five or four, yeah. you know, to get in front of those teams. Now, again, how willing is Ballard to move up? I'm a firm believer that if Ballard loves the guy, he will he will move up. Now, Ballard's love, you know, that's like the 38-year-old friend that has had seven girlfriends in nine years and dated them all for eight months and said, ah, she's not the one. Yeah. Really got to fall in love. Sure. You know, like, and I and I think Ballard is that guy. Like, I think he's got very stringent, which, cool, you know, roll with it. Um, And we'll see. You know, Ball- Ballard did make a point of, like, I know the quarterback is not going to have all the traits, but do they have enough of the traits that we necessarily feel like we might not be able to develop? Mm. So that's another of like, okay, her father-in-law's crazy, but everything else checks the box. <laughs> well, can you develop a father-in-law? Not really. But can you develop, uh, you know, she needs to be more philanthropic or whatever the hell, some other trait that you want to tap into. Maybe you can develop that. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. That's, uh, uh, that's Dr. Phil on this sure. edition of Kevin's Corner. From Tyler, where would you put the odds of Costanzo, assuming he doesn't retire, playing elsewhere next year? Oh, I think minimal. Oh, I think zero. That's, I guess that's really minimal. Um, I feel like Costanzo said it was either here or move to the Silicon Valley and code. Is, that, is he, he a coder? Really is that? That? I, th- I think he's a big um, video game guy. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's uh, he's interned out there several off seasons before, so I think he's really into that. But yeah, I would think with Costanzo, it it, it to me sounded like I come back or I'm done playing football. I don't think it's a yeah bidding war of like, oh, I want to go play for the Bears. I'm a Chicago native. Like his parents still go to every game. Like yeah. I don't think it's anything like that. Uh, from Yash T, hey, guys, hope you had a great weekend. I've recently heard from another Colts reporter that Jacoby cannot be the next quarterback of the Colts. Says it would be the worst thing for Ballard to go into uh, year four with three years tied to Jacoby. I actually agree. What are your thoughts? Another Colts reporter. Interesting. Yash is cheating on us a little <laughs> bit there. Um, you know, I <laughs> If Jacoby Brissett's a starter in 2020, is it the worst thing in the world? No. What, to me, the worst thing in the world would be if you don't have another quarterback on the roster that you feel like you can put on the side of your building one day. Yeah. That's what I think has to happen. Um, I'm more of a fan, Joey, of letting rookie quarterbacks be thrown in the fire. What's your take on that? Are you you like guys sitting for a year? Are you like, let's see what you got. Throw 30 picks. Who yeah, cares? Yeah, it's like... Five or six years, I don't know, five to seven years ago, maybe even longer than that, you know, the rookie into the fire thing just felt like it always ended in a dumpster fire, you know? But now more and more you see guys year in and year out just come in, and and whether it's the game evolving or offensive coordinators saying, hey, we're not going to make you fit our system, we're going to make a system that fits you. Tailor it. Yeah, it it seems like they have more success, but then you look at the Patrick Mahomes situation where he he sat for a year and Mm -hmm. then – I mean, MVP, Super Bowl, back-to-back years. So 
I think it's just about the guy, you know, to cop out. I, I I think if you have the guy either way, it'll work. Yeah. And I would be – I'd be a little bit surprised if the Colts traded up or took a quarterback in the first round and that was your week one starter. I would be. I, I need to go back. I need to um, I need to write that note down. Um, I feel like Reich was asked that question at some point this offseason. Um, during the season. But yeah, that is a good debate. But like I said, I think it comes back to just just give me a quarterback that's got a high ceiling. Yep. You know? Sure. Is that too much to ask for? No. No. I think everybody would be happy with that. Uh from Drew Rush. If an elite talent at wide receiver, Jerry Judy or C D Lamb is sitting on an earlier pick, would Ballard move up to get him? Or is the quarterback the only position you feel is worth trading up for? I think so. Maybe left tackle. But I'm not trading up for a wideout. Nah, I'm sorry. It's it's just too deep of a draft class, and you know I think there are some positions you mortgage draft capital for, others you don't. Yeah, no, I, I'm not trading in the top ten. I I, I like Judy. I like Ceedee Lamb. I don't think you look at any of them. Joey is like, oh my god, if they fall to ten, how do yeah. you not move up? There's a couple of mock drafts that you have on your article that have. Jerry Judy coming to the Colts, right? Yeah, Judy and Ruggs, the other Alabama kid. Uh, Those yeah. were the two Andy Alabama Ruggs. wideouts. So, yeah, let's tease out. 1075thefan.com. We did a mock draft compilation of early mocks so far with Senior Bowl week here. Check that out on the site. It's a good little one-stop mm-hmm. shop to uh, see some mock drafts from around the league. From Zach Palmer, should Houston claim the AFC South title the last two years despite getting knocked by the Colts last year and getting outlasted by the Titans this year? I know they technically won, but they weren't the best team in the division either years. Oh, I see what he's saying. Um, that's the whole like college basketball debate. Who's the Big Ten champion, the winner of the regular season or the winner of the conference tournament? Or who goes further in the NCAA tournament? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what you throw the tag on. I know this. Houston's been the most consistent team in the division over the last four or five years. So we can debate, you know, the the runs they've made in the playoffs, but as you know in the playoffs, it get you know, it's a one and done feel. Like it's just a it's just a totally different whoever is the best team on that mm-hmm. sixty minutes. So, you know, did Tennessee gain an I don't know, you would think Houston had the easier draw, but um I mean Tennessee had a shot, you know, in like week fifteen at home to beat Houston. That's a good and point. set them, you know what I mean. Yeah. So, yeah, you know the regular the, the division title for the regular season is what it is. It's a regular season thing. So. Yeah, it's the best over sixteen weeks, and Houston was the best team. So, um, I think they still deserve whatever the most consistent AFC South team is over the last five years. Um, you know, so whatever that gets them. Uh, from Jake Wardell, how long do you have? How long do you give a drafted prospect before giving up on them? Seems like many people have already given up on the 2019 class. Oh, I think you, I think you give them three years. Yeah, I think about three years. Now, you can give evaluations after each year. They don't need to be like, "This is the evaluation." Yeah. Yes. Sorry, I scared you there. You did a little bit. It's all right. That was loud, man. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't realize I had that type of girth in this left fist of mine. Um. So yeah, I think this is something we'll get into more on next week's podcast, Jake. But I think it's a really fair question. How I look at the drafts right now is this: 2018 home freaking run. I mean. Oh yeah. Hell, it might be a grand slam. Well established. Yep. 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 You know, you draft two All Pros in their first two years. That's like. That's like the most magical 
what's the draft movie? The Cleveland Browns draft movie? Draft Day. Draft. That's like the most magical ending to draft day ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2019 draft, still too early. I, but I would say mixed bag early on. Maybe a little bit better than mixed bag. Okariki, Willis, great, really good. Rakusin, okay, you think there's something potentially there. Some good, some bad, though. Got to change up the technique. Campbell, got to stay healthy. Um, and just need more production. Like, there are three plays out of Paris Campbell's rookie year where I'm like, there he is. That's it. The guy played seven games. I, there's three plays. I love Paris Campbell. I think he's going to be a really good player on his offense. But if you're if you if you don't like Paris Campbell and you say, "All right, Kevin, sit down with me and let's watch 2019 film on why you like him," the film session would last five minutes. I will show you three plays, and that's yeah. all I've got. The so, touchdown against the Titans, a play against uh, Steelers the Steelers, screen, and then he fumbles. And, it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know yep. it, there's just not a whole lot. So. Um, who else are we missing out of that rookie? Tell, yeah, some part. Banagoo, not really. So, 2019, a little bit of a mixed bag. 2017, dude, it's it's two ends of the spectrum. Yeah. I mean, day one and day two, you can't give it any higher than a D. Basham's an F. Mm-hmm. Quincy Wilson's a D minus. And Hooker's a D plus. A C, C minus. maybe? Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, you're, you're probably, I mean, when you draft a guy at 15 overall, you expect him to be a Pro Bowler mm-hmm. at some point. Uh, we know it's early with Hooker, but three years in the league, hasn't sniffed a Pro Bowler. Injury, you know, wrecked that rookie season. Um, so, yeah. But then you look at, you know, Mac and Walker. Well, right, right. Yeah, yeah, thank you for yeah, that. Yeah. Mac, Walker, Grover Stewart, all the day three picks. I mean, outstanding. I mean, yeah. a, an A on day three. So you kind of average those grades. And, you know, I, I think with Ballard specifically, he has made us grade his drafts more heavily than other GMs around the league. When you have a bit of a refusal to use free agency, use trades like Kansas City and San Francisco with those two still sitting here in the playoffs, we we grade the draft harder. Like that's which means 2018 means that much more and the skepticism on 2017 also means that much more because if you aren't finding serious, impactful starters in the draft, we've seen a free agency doesn't really lead to that. Yep. Uh, from t- <laughs> every time I get caught up on this, this is Smooth Smith, but their their name on here, not their handle, is Tua slash Love slash Herbert season. Uh, so you know oh, where Smooth Smith's wanting to go. Hopefully it's not too late, but hypothetically, if the Colts draft a quarterback, would you want him to sit for an extended period of time, 10-plus weeks, or try to start immediately? So going back on what we were talking about. Thank you, Smooth, for that question. Sorry we got into it earlier. Yep. Uh, From Casey with a K, which current NFL team do you think Chris Ballard looks at and thinks, that's exactly what I want the Colts to be? Oh, I like that. I mean, it's got to be San Fran, right? I was thinking that. Yeah. Can you give me a Ballard voice of, like, I really like San Francisco? (laughs) Sorry to put you on the No, spot. you're right. I've been battling a little little throat cold. <clears throat> Look. San Francisco's a good football team. They're built up front. They got a good quarterback play. They can run the football. They're a good football team. Yeah, that was good. That was really good. I like it. Short Thanks, quote. Man. I can transcribe that quickly. Yeah, there you go. Easy to understand. I'll take out the look. Um, <laughs> Do you take out the looks? Got to take out the looks, okay. man. No, I'm not. I mean, 
you know, I know some of my colleagues are gonna. Uh, I feel like my 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 good buddy Andrew Walker's got to transcribe every word, and I feel bad for him. But yeah, I'm not putting in You're not the, putting the looks, the uhs or the looks. I mean, you know, I, I might give you a dot 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 if there's a long pause to accentuate sure. that. But uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not throwing the looks. Why does he? Why about like? Uh, every time I do an, a ballad impression, I I do it as if he's like got like a Jolly Rancher in his mouth. Well, is, is that, that a- or I was picturing like some straw, like he, he had some. You know, he was sitting on his back porch and just had a little straw in his yeah, mouth. But like, am I wrong? Why do I feel like he always has like something? Yeah, that I don't know. I don't think he's a big him. like gum guy or whatever. I don't know. Maybe it just helps me do the impression. But I always feel like he has like a cough drop that he's kind of like <laughs> yeah. My know, seventh throw lozenger of the day that Chris Ballard still has. Right. San Fran, though, I think is a great pick. Yeah. You know, I, I when you so. talk about the trenches. Um, who else? It's, Tennessee, I mean, to a degree. Yeah, wow. Well, it's just like you look at San Fran, and they do have good quarterback play, obviously. But it's not, you know. Green Bay or Kansas City no, relying no, on it. No, you know no. what I mean? It's not like Garoppolo goes down. It's like they could still go 500. Sure. Rodgers, Mahomes go down, which I know Matt Moore won a game this year or maybe won a couple games, but um, you feel like it's a little bit more DEFCON. Yeah. From Zach, hey, Kevin, Chris Ballard has always been very prudent in free agency. Might he change his course this year or is it business as usual? Boy, Zach, I get this question every year, and I I try to really actually think about this question. I know um, some people might just be like, oh, it's a stupid question. He, he's never going to use free agency. But I believe Chris Ballard learns from experience. And so I go back to what he said at the end of the season, Joey, when he was disappointed in himself for not giving this team enough depth and this coaching staff enough depth. And then he threw in the caveat of, I didn't give this team enough veteran voices, especially on the defensive side. And he singled out specifically Al Woods and Mike Mitchell. So when you hear a whole lot of that, I feel like how do you not tap into free agency just a hair more? He only signed two last year, Funches and Houston. So how do you not go maybe three, four guys? You know, like something like So that's why I sit here and think to myself, if you're going to be a man of your word, to me, when I hear veteran leadership and not enough quality depth, well, veteran leadership's not come from the draft. You got to use frenzy, don't you? Yeah. So I, maybe I'm crazy. Think. Maybe, maybe I'm trusted. But I, I, I do think Chris Ballard is frequently a man of his word. Um, so that's why I sit here, Zach, and think, let's not just simply be like, it's Chris Ballard. He's never going to spend. Blah. Move on. No. Let's Let's have an open mind. And, you know. April 21st, I'll be like, yeah, he didn't spend anything. <laughs> <laughs> no spending. His checkbook's still pretty thick there. Uh, from Scott Schmelzer, who are your favorite wide receiver fits from this draft for the Colts? Chase Claypool excluded. Ooh, oh, Coach Schmelzer. Killing gotcha. me there. Gotcha. He got me. Um, Boy, I love me some Chase Claypool. Senior Bull, Chase Claypool. Big guy. I really like C.D. Lamb, Joey. I really like C.D. Lamb. Um... The the uh, Pittman kid out of USC is another guy that I don't mind. Big body, yeah. But NFL NFL dad. 
Oh, yeah, good call. Michael? Michael Pittman. Dude, you had a great tweet the other day of 90s football players. That started a nice little thread. That yeah. did. Yeah, that was oh, my good. God. Garrison Hurst and Frank Wycheck and Wayne Ben Polizzi hit me with uh, Antonio Freeman. Oh, I yeah. love it. Yeah. Remember yeah. when he made the catch on Monday Night Football? Yeah, pretty much the Packers, really. You yeah, can just oh, see yeah. Dorsey Levins, Antonio yes. Freeman. Mark. Brett Favre, of Who course. Who was our tight end? Mark Churma, Chura, something like that. Uh, oh, I can yeah. picture him now. Um. Yeah, I, I really like uh, C.D. Lamb. Um, I was disappointed to see the Arizona State kid kind of – I think he failed his physical at the Senior Bowl. I was hoping to watch him a little bit more this week. Um, so, yeah, those are the ones that immediately stand out to me as guys that I like. Um, what about the Alabama kids? Yeah, I, I, I do like Ruggs' potential big play. I would like a little bit of a bigger body. Judy – Yes, I'm not like top five Judy. I feel like there are some people out there like, oh, top five pick. Like, don't even worry about it. I don't know if I'm there with him yet. Uh, but again, that might I feel just like be. like Bama's had a really good track record of receivers in the league. Yeah. I mean, hell, the best free agent right now, Cooper. We'll see what but happens. Cooper, with Jones, obviously, the Ridley God. brother, or one of yeah. the Ridleys, Calvin yeah. Ridley. Yeah, it's, that, that, that is a good point. I feel like we do have kind of a negative vibe on some Alabama. Skill guys, at least maybe running backs, just because of Trent. But Derrick Henry is certainly quiet to that. Um, yeah, those are those are some of the wideouts I like. From Matt, if the Colts do go the veteran quarterback route, which one makes the most sense? Is Andy Dalton an option? I also like the Hamler kid out of Penn State. I think he'll be a Ooh, really good yeah. slot. Really slot. good. Uh, veteran quarterback Andy Dalton, the Red Rocket. No, uh, give me Bridgewater or don't give me a veteran quarterback. Maybe, maybe Derek Carr. And I, I really, I really stress the maybe. I don't yeah. love it, but people ask, ask about it. So everyone knows I'm, I'm team draft. You could do a trade. Um, you could send Andrew Lux rights to John Gruden because oh Luck wants to play in Vegas, oh and then boy. you could bring Carr here, and it could be just God. you know quick swap. I really hope no one's still listening. <laughs> quick, quick swap uh, from Lucas Robbins. He says, one, will Joey do a Super Bowl edition of his impressions and who to be of? And two, what need position for the Colts could you see Ballard spending some of the Colts' loads of cap money on? Um, so I'll start with this one. Uh, I don't. I don't really know. Like I'm kind of now that college football is over. I'm kind of um, taking a, a hiatus from impressions. I think and kind of figuring out what's next. I don't know if a Super Bowl one will be coming, but um, Mahomes has got we'll a see. unique voice. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe a, a Super Bowl video or Super Bowl skit. I don't know if it'll be of any impressions, but um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see in a couple of weeks. But uh, that's what I'm working on right now. So and then two, what need position of the Colts would you see Ballard spending some money of the loads that he has on? You know, I was thinking about um, when you mentioned Luck trade to the Raiders. Yep. You see at, um, at the McGregor Cowboy fight, Tom Brady and Mark Davis. I did. Is there a greater looking individual than Mark Davis? Oh, man. Yeah, straight out of a cartoon. That is awesome. Why did I say cartoon that way? Straight out of a cartoon, not a cartoon. Yeah, I do Weird. that all the time. I do that with Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, okay, uh, what pick to address in free agency? Yeah. Or what, 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 what position to address yeah, in free agency? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think, why, I think receiver needs to have the same resources that you gave it last year, which meant a $10 million contract and then a second-round draft pick. I, I think it's got to be similar. Again, this year. Uh, defensive line, you know, if Sheard goes, I think you need a free agent defensive lineman. Um, some might argue even if Sheard stays. Like, if you could upgrade up there, 
which I think that position actually has a little bit of depth in free agency this year. I wouldn't mind seeing another corner as well. Um, and I don't know what the tight end market looks like. I probably am more pro drafts a tight end. I know like Hunter Henry is the name. Yeah. But I'm probably more pro pro draft a tight end. Uh, from TG just says Nick Foles to the Colts. Oh no, no, no! I don't, I don't see that. People like that tie because of Reich. Yeah, and everything. I, I don't see the intradivision move. Yeah, I mean that's a, I mean you're trading and absorbing a forty million dollar contract. Yikes! From Justin, say the Colts do draft Jordan Love at thirteen. What does it mean for Brissett? Is he the guy for another year, letting Love develop, or is Love the guy from day one? Yeah, that is a good question. I, I, if you draft Love, I think it's a Brissett for a year. I think so. Yeah. Stan Cal agrees. It's right underneath. Uh, from Michael, at what point should Ballard start to get some heat for the roster still being kind of meh going into offseason four? Yeah, I mean, that, that that's what we'll get into a little bit more on next week's podcast. You know, I, I think this is a very critical, critical offseason for Chris Ballard in that not only does he need, um, you know, he needs this, obviously needs a hit on a lot of these acquisitions here in the offseason, but then you go back to that 2017 draft, and, like, you know, that is such a monumental group of, all right, if Hooker, if for some reason Hooker doesn't get a second contract year, missing on Hooker, Wilson, and Basham, that is really, really tough. Yeah. And I know, like Joey mentioned, you got some great finds in round four, five, and six, or round four and five, but still, that is, that's, that that's tough. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into more. I think there's, you know, I don't know if we're going to throw a grade on Ballard so far, I'd probably put in the B ish range, you know, I think that's fair. You know, when he hasn't had luck, obviously things haven't gone well, but I think the roster construction and some solid foundational pieces are in place. I mean, shit, he drafted two hall of famers. I mean, yeah. I know it's two years in, but that is not hyperbole, folks. From Brett Stockglausner, with more players opting for early retirement and long-term health, do you think we'll start to see a shift in how contracts are structured to prevent teams from committing long-term to players? Also, should there be compensation for teams who have players opt for early retirement? I think that's a really interesting question. Yeah. Um, You know, I think in general, teams want to front-load contracts. Like, I feel like that's kind of the new age of, of, of trying to play in the cap game. Yep. Now, a lot depends on what your quarterback is making. That influences, I think, a lot of how you handle your books. But, again, I think teams are looking at the, okay, let's throw that guaranteed money up front. And then if we need to part ways with them, you know, year three into the contract, boom, we can do that. Um, what, what does he say about the er, er, early retirement? Are there – what um, does he say, like, early – says. Yeah, so he says, uh, asking about that to see how they would structure to prevent uh, um, from committing long-term to players, but then he also says, should there be compensation for teams who have players opt early for retirement? So, you know, Luck or Costanza or whoever, then it's like, oh, here you go, because they left you hanging for four years. Oh, I, I think that's very fair, yeah. I'd love to see the NFLPA, the look on their face when that those come up in negotiations, but yeah, I mean, you know, should Jim Mercy have had to pay Andrew, or he didn't have to pay? Should it, should Jim Mercy have paid Andrew Luck? However, what was it twenty five million or whatever it was? Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, I, I think that's really fair, and I know that comes from the big almighty ownership, which we don't really want to side with them a whole lot. But yeah, if you're gonna make the decision to retire, I don't think the severance should be 
you know, full guarantees of sure. the rest of your contract or yeah. whatever it's going to be. And I don't know. Like Keekly, I think, still had, I want to say he still had two years left on a huge deal as well. So, yeah, I think that's really fair. But, hell, that might get us into another lockout. From Matt T., I'm probably in the minority here, but I would not re-sign Hilton to a huge or long-term deal. I think his leadership is extremely important to this team. His production and health, though, are a huge concern for me. Colts need to draft a wide receiver number one this draft. What are your thoughts? Yeah, Matt, I think it's a great debate. Something we talked on last week's podcast. When I when I look at extensions for this offseason, it's Ryan Kelly, it's Marlon Mack, and then it drops for me to a Hilton, maybe an Anthony Walker, um, and then Hooker is, is probably below that. Hilton, in a way, Joey, wouldn't you think he has some leverage? Because there aren't yeah. any I other mean, wideouts one in, on this What roster? is it, 1 in 10 in, or 1 in 9 in the games without him? So, right, I mean, exactly. That's a great, great stat you pulled out. So, um, But then in the other way, you look at it from Matt's standpoint, and you see some injuries. You see him reaching 30. It's the final year of his contract. So I think Ballard might let it play out. Um, that That's the one I don't have a great grasp on, but I could see it just because, all right, T.Y., prove you're healthy. We'll give you a three-year deal and then you ride out the rest of your career here in Indianapolis. That's yeah. how I think it should go, will go. Just, again, how much of the injuries flukish? From our friend Derek over in Ireland, uh, would love to hear some good anecdotes about working as a Colts beat reporter, whether it be in the building or running into players outside the facility. Oh, gosh. Derek? I would also like to hear that. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget running into Jarrell Freeman at – local establishment downtown Indianapolis the night after they beat the Chiefs in the playoffs. Oh, nice. And just no one had any idea who he was. And I'm just like, that dude just had freaking 15 tackles in one of the greatest NFL games you'll ever see. Yeah, he. I mean, people knew Jarrell Freeman. You know what I mean? That's what's wild. Yeah. Is that they, I mean, he's a stud. He like, was, if you were like, really good on for a, a couple mic, years. like, who is Jarrell Freeman? Like, 70 people in the place would have been like, oh, yeah, oh, I know who Jarrell, Jarrell Freeman, Freeman is. Yeah. But, like, he just kind of walked very... <laughs> And I was talking to him for five, ten minutes, and I'm just like, man, you're are you alone? Yeah, <laughs> you sorry, dude. Anyone? Do you guys know? Um, <laughs> well, I can't say I ever saw them out, but from what I hear, Trent Richardson and Maude Bradshaw enjoyed their time in Indy. Um, yeah, and one guy ended up showing up on Sundays; the other guy did not show up on Sundays. Yeah. Uh, what other? I don't. I mean, I just don't really run into these people outside of the building too much. No. You know, I think one thing I've, I've said this before, a, a Chris Ballard in the press box in a road game experience is quite a, a treat. So in home games, he's got his own, he's got his own you know, booth. Yeah. But in road games, he's with the other general media. And, really? Every game? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure every – I know uh, at Lucas Oil, the visiting GM sits in the press box. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Seattle for sure. Tennessee for sure. New England for sure. Yeah, because I was sitting right next to Grigson when he got the old deflate gate call. Yeah, that was Wild. a very awkward few minutes. Um, you really weren't sure what was happening at the time, but it was like, man, you're really walking around a lot and asking for a bunch of people that I don't really know who their names are, and it ends up being like NFL operations people that alert them of DeQuell's interception because, you know, you get a call up from the sidelines of, hey, we got the ball. We yeah. don't think it's fully yeah. – full- Fully inflated, but uh, you know, Gregson's going to get Pete Ward and you know all this stuff and whatnot. I think Greg <laughs> Ballard, his emotion during games is just awesome. Like when things don't go right, boy, you visibly hear it. 
uh, verbally hear it. Hear it. Wait, wait, wait. So Ballard gets that, into it. That doesn't that doesn't apply like the whole no talking, no cheering, or whatever the hell it is in press boxes. That doesn't apply to GMs. Well, frankly, they, but they say just don't that. care. They say that, and there's so many people that. I mean, after a Colts touchdown, there's always at least four or five people cheering in the Lucas Oil press box. Now, is it you know? the statistician that has been there for 30 years and she hands out papers at the end of each quarter. <laughs> like, you know, who, who okay. are these people? Yeah. So I it's mean, not Mike Chappell. In the press box. Yeah. It's not like, who just clapped? You are gone. Like, it's not like that demonstrative. But, like, I get it. I, I think it's I think it's so weird. I've always said this before. In the NBA, I think it's extremely just odd and not safe that it'll be like Raptors series, Pacers, there's Larry Bird in row 15. Like they they like pan to the crowd and yeah. everyone's wearing their black shirts and here's Larry Bird and you know Donnie Walsh and Kevin Pritchard sitting together yeah like in the middle of the crowd that I think is sure. extremely yeah. more vulnerable and you know you're exposed um but yeah NFL GM and Ballard is a uh, you know remember when I pounded my fist earlier Ballard gets into it which I love I really I, I, I love the emotion I'm a big that's yeah, awesome I think it's just fun to see that um. You know, because it's always fun when they like NBC shoots their camera up up at the press box, and boy, you hope the owner box is behaving, and you hope the GMs are behaving. You know, what if like they just flash the owner's box and Jerry Jones just slamming a Bud Light? Oh, that'd be great. Be great. It'd be great for the internet. It'd be great for ratings. Oh, yeah. All of it. All of it. Um, what other Colts? I mean, there are a couple of Colts Colts stories I wish I could share on the pod, but I just can't. Can't fully get into them. Ha! I get I th- to hear those. You guys I, don't. <laughs> I think I've told the luck story before, and this is more of a sentimental luck story. But um, so he did like the Riley change the play events. Mm-hmm. So he was involved with Riley Hospital um, here locally and, and changed the play events. He'd travel around the state and he'd go and he'd you know he'd have a camp and the kids would come out and they'd run routes on the football field and do healthy stuff for, you know, an hour and 15 minutes. Luck would give them a 15 minute pep talk and boom, your morning session's over. Now your afternoon session comes, comes in. Um, so we're up at, um, we're up at, um, what's that high school called? South Bend St. Joe's, um, up near Notre Dame's campus and right across the street. Yeah. Uh, he has the morning, the morning camp and then the afternoon camp gets rained out. So, you know, 150 kids don't get to I, – I can't – maybe Luck, like, talk to them in a classroom, but, like, they didn't get to catch a pass from Luck on the field, which mm-hmm. was obviously, like, the big Big, yeah. So it's myself, the Colts head of PR, and Luck. This is back when I worked for the Colts and uh, took Ursay's jet up freaking 25-minute flight. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, to South Bend. And so um, on the flight up, Luck was just, he was terrific. He wanted to know about, like, Indiana history more than anything. Like, fly over, what are we flying over now? Oh, that's this. Like, he knew more about Indiana history than I did. I do. Yeah. And I've lived in the state for 30 years. Yeah. So um, we're getting ready to leave this event. And at this point, it had, like, kind of stopped raining and... You know, the car service is going to pick us up, take us to the airport, and we're going to fly back to Indy. And South Bend St. Joe's, the area around the high school doesn't strike me as a great area by any means. But we're just kind of sitting there on the steps to the school and just kind of hanging under the overhang. And Lux sees, like, two or three kids that 
are wearing the camp shirts across the street, just kind of like messing around, doing kid stuff in the parking lot. And uh, he's like, I think I'm going to go over there and uh, talk to those kids and sign their shirts and, um, you know, talk to them. And I remember the cold side of PR being like, oh, okay. You know, just kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess. You know, I don't really want you kind of in like normal public light like that. Or, you know, it just wasn't like, yes, definitely do it or yeah. forcing them to do it or anything. Lux just kind of like, no, I think I'm going to do it. And uh, sure enough, he just kind of does it on his own. Zero cameras around, zero publicity whatsoever around. He just walks over there, kind of like taps one of the kids on the shoulder. The kid's like, oh, you know, yeah, he's like, yeah. oh, my God, it's Andrew Luck. And Luck talks to him for like five minutes, signs their shirts. And by that point, like, you know, three kids had right, appeared, yeah. and like two more kids had appeared. And he probably did that for like 20 minutes. So the car service just kind of hung there and waited and. It, to me, it's just like a kind of a cool moment of no cameras around, none of that. You know full well that it's going to make that kid's day to go see say hi to him. And he did. And I feel like at times we're so like, oh, the only reason that guy's doing it is because he knows a bunch of cameras are around. Sure. And Russell Wilson's only doing this because blah, blah, blah. But it's like the genuine nature of that I thought was pretty cool. And I always thought Luck had a really good understanding of that. Yes, he didn't want to have his dirty laundry or any laundry out in the public light, but he understood what it meant to be an NFL quarterback. And he knew how much him as a role model meant to other people. So, um, yeah, that's, that's more of a sentimental one, but yeah, I always, I always saw that was kind of a man, a flight. So just like you with like three other people and Andrew Luck included. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, that was that was. Did um, you feel pressure when he was asking you questions? You're like, shit, I don't know. Yeah, I did. He was like, <laughs> grill me about Fountain Square, my favorite places in Fountain Square, and I'm just like, God, I hope my favorite places are your favorite places. Um, yeah, he loves Siam Square. You ever been there, Fountain Square? No, but I, I, my uh, Cole Toner, who plays for the Chargers, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's yeah. one of my buddies, and he said that he's gone there with him before. With luck. Yeah. Yeah. And he he, just, he always just like that's like his spot. That he is his spot. spot. So. Yeah. And he loved like the ethnic food, and I mean that was a time I was just like, a lot of it was uh, we were debating like Indy Eleven and where they would put their stadium. Oh. That was kind of the time when that topic was hot and heavy, and he just. You know, he had great, which considering his dad's resume, you know, he had some great insight on why sure. you put it here, why you don't put it here, where you put it, you know, yeah. all that stuff. That and his architecture sock. background. Exactly. I mean, uh, hell, he should probably do it. Yeah, Jeez, yeah, what yeah, else are you doing, uh, guy? Know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I know I've had a few people and, and even some friends that have seen him at like Books and Brews. Yeah, I heard that's you a popular You and I did spot. an event yeah. down in the south side at UND. He, he's been to a few of those places. Um, good buddy of mine's family saw him at, um, like a brunch spot up on like 75th and Benford. So I, I don't think he's like being a, I know this has turned into like, where's Andrew Luck? Uh, <laughs> but I don't think he's like being a snail by any means. So I'll try to think of some more stories like that and good off season stuff. Yeah. But he is, yeah. I mean, but it is, it's like, we joked about even back when, in, when the, the news first broke that he's retiring, it was like, is he going to be like Bigfoot? You know, is it going to be right. like when you see him, I was like, holy shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, is that the Grinch? Is that Bigfoot? You I know? know. So it is interesting when you when you hear about that. All right, from Jarvis. Based on the past three drafts, do you get the opinion that Ballard drafts more for need or best player available? Oh, I I think best player available. I you know I I think need is always like in the back of your mind. Like Ballard hasn't taken a quarterback in the last three drafts, so there clearly it, it is a little bit of need in your mind. But I'd say mostly best player available. 
From fourth down, Frank. A lot of sarcasm in here. Jimmy G took the Niners to the Super Bowl, only throwing nine passes. We can win with JB, don't you think? <laughs> Lots of sarcasm involved. Go back to Jimmy G's stats, man, early in the year. Hey, Jimmy G was a big senior bowl guy. I forget who the quarterback oh, yeah. was that backed out of the senior bowl that year, but Jimmy G came in there and did you watch him and Aaron Andrews interview before the game? No. Oh, was there a little sexual tension going on there? Man. <laughs> my wife was like, whoa. <laughs> wow. Things just got a little steamy in that San Francisco media room. Hey, he's a handsome guy. He is a handsome guy. He is good looking. Um, okay, from Thomas. Who's a better pass rusher, Kinlaw or Brown? Man. God, that's like, again, brownie, cookie, cake, I'll eat it all, man. Uh, Brown's probably the more all-around guy. I think Brown could help you out a little bit more on rundowns. Ken Law, Ken Law's good. I, I think, you know that that pick there at thirteen, Ken Law would uh, would would satisfy a lot of people. Granted, it's not a quarterback or left tackle. If if you need to go that route, um, maybe Ken Law the better rusher, Brown the better all-around player. But I'm really nitpicking there. From Jason, best case draft scenario: draft D line or wide receiver at thirteen and trade. Back up to get a quarterback in the late first round? If the quarterback you love is there. I mean, we're talking best-case draft scenario, yes. I mean, honestly, to me, the best-case draft scenario is probably Jordan Love at at 13. I know people might say it's too high, but, Joey, I just don't I just don't think you can wait till 34 to draft a quarterback. No. And I, I just don't think you... If you want to wait till 34, you might begin the sixth quarterback in this draft. Yep. Are you content with that? Right. Some then, people might be. The Colts, the Colts very well might be. They might say, we got Frank Reich. He's going to develop. But but then those are the same people talking about not wanting to waste draft picks, but then you get, like you mentioned, the sixth or seventh best player at that position, at a position that there's, you know, it's not running back. No, it's not, no, You know what I mean? No. So that essentially kind of is. And I know you can find great quarterbacks at various points of the draft like eventually some guys get there but like let's remember Mahomes was the second quarterback taken in his draft yes he went 10th overall but he was still number two on the quarterback from Richard if Chris Jones hits free agency and that's a big if should the coats coats geez holy <laughs> lord should the <laughs> Oh man! It's a long podcast. <laughs> Should the Colts go all out for him based on the cap space Ballard has to play with? Why not? You know, I I do want to see the Colts tap into some of those younger def- or um, some of those defensive linemen in uh, in free agency. I, I do think that's a pretty good group. We'll we'll start to get into a little bit of that here in the coming uh, coming weeks. Uh, from Scotty, a Colts guy. If I'm Chris Ballard and Costanza retires, I'm selling the farm to get Teddy Bridgewater so I can draft a left tackle in the first round. I might even sell the farm anyway to get Teddy. What would you do if he retires? What do you think he'll do? You know, Joey, I think it's a really interesting debate. I don't think Ballard would go that route, but I think there are some GMs that might go that route. Like, if they look at left tackle and they feel like the only chance to get a left tackle is in the draft and in the first round, then they also look at their quarterback position and they feel like they have to upgrade. Then you look at, okay, what's the easier need to cross off in free agency versus the draft? Some might say it's quarterback if it's Bridgewater. 
Um, now, I don't think Ballard would follow that, but I think it's a very compelling way to look at it of, again, what needs can you cross? <laughs> That's why Costanzo returning means so much. Like, yep. uh, we aren't having this debate if Anthony Costanzo doesn't say, you know, what he said on, on move-out day. So I don't think Ballard would go there, but it, it's an interesting debate. From This is the last one I have here. This is from uh, Alaska Colts fan. I bet you're just loving all the quarterback questions. Get used to it, my friend. Of course, oh, it's yeah. going to be an offseason yeah. full of that. What kind of contract does Eric Ebron have to land in order for us to get a good comp pick next year? A good comp pick. Well, a lot of it obviously depends on what the Colts do and free agency themselves. Um, you know, two-year what did Ebron sign here for? Two year, fifteen mil. I think I was right. Something similar to that. You know, can you get a fourth rounder? Something like around there. Maybe that's a little high. Uh, again, comp pick is a multiple formula of like you got to also look at what you do in free agency that cancels each other out. I'm trying to think of the Colts free agents that signed elsewhere last year, um, but it is a little bit of both on that front there. Cool, man. That's all I got. Um. Boy, I think we went through a lot there, didn't we? Yeah. It's a long one. Long show. Yeah, we did. All right, man. Um, you got off the rails late, but that's never a bad thing. It's the off season. We got to live. We got to laugh. We got to love. We got to do it all. Love it. He's Joe Molinaro. I'm Kevin Bowen. The Pro Bowls this weekend. Anyone care? Will you watch? Uh, depends on what college basketball games are on. <laughs> probably. Uh, if there's not anything great or Purdue's not playing, probably not. Did you see the rule, the new rule for the Pro Bowl? I did not. I want to say it's like after extra, after you score a touchdown, you can do the fourth and fifteen play, like to either keep the ball, or if you miss it, then you give the other team the ball, like at the thirty-five or something. I don't know. It's it's such a joke, man. It's yeah, just it, a, it is. It's two-hand touch. It is Eric or not Eric Ebron. He he's not a Pro Bowler. Um, Jack Doyle is a Pro Bowler. Ryan Kelly via alternate. Uh, I guess Anthony Casanzo didn't get in, which I guess makes sense. Mm-hmm. Taylor Lewan was probably in the Pro Bowl. Well, actually, Taylor Lewan might not have been in the Pro Bowl, but I think um, Baltimore had a couple guys in the Pro Bowl. The Villanueva guy make it? Uh, I don't think so. All right, he's Joe Molinaro. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everyone have a great rest of the week, a uh, great weekend. If you ever have any questions, you know where to find me on um, Twitter. It is kbowen1070 there. The DMs are always open. We'll, uh, if you DM me throughout the week, we'll answer your questions on next week's pod. And, again, written content, 1075thefan.com. See ya. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.